0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the Ion Travel podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at ClearMe.com slash Ion Travel and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here,
0: and welcome to another edition of the ION Travel podcast. This week, my conversations in Istanbul on Turkey and the state of travel and tourism around the world. I was in Turkey to shoot my latest one hour special for PBS, but it also gave me an opportunity to talk, to listen, and to learn. And if you believe, like I do, that Istanbul is still the crossroads of the world, then you're in for a treat, as we put at least some of that into perspective. I had an extended talk with author, TV personality, and one of the premier Turkish guides, Safat Tanguc, and then a deep dive into art and design with historian Sirdar Guggen. And last but not least, my talk with Mehmet Yarangumaliloglu. Try to say that three times fast. He's a young, true Turk who showed me a side of Istanbul most visitors never see.
2: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks.
0: My next guest, I don't think he'll get angry at me if I call him Mr. Turkey. He's an author of many, many books, television personality, probably the most recognizable guy on television when it comes to Turkey and travel. So of course I had to have him on the air. Uh, Safa Tunguc, how
3: are you, sir? Thank you very much, Peter. I wish I was Miss Turkey, but thanks for this. No, I said uh, you're Mr. Turkey, not Miss Turkey. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Turkey. (laughs) We always hear about Miss Turkey. No, no, no. But maybe I'm going to be the first one. Thank you. You could be. It could happen. Why not? Never Uh, too late. And, you know, you have an unending love affair with this
0: country. You have an unending love affair with what I'm looking at right now, the Bosphorus. Uh, You did a book on it. what does, you know, in the year of 2021, in the midst of a pandemic, with countries closing down or at very low capacities, the economic impact being so strong, you know, but Turkey has remained a country that's more or less open to Americans. Uh, you don't, There's no quarantine yet. Um, there is a three-day, 72-hour COVID-19 negative test uh, requirement. But there's also that for me to go back to the United States. So, But it didn't restrict me from coming here.
3: Where do you see Turkey in the next couple of months? Uh, are you turning the corner? Well, actually, I think it's going to be a better season than uh, last year. And uh, last year we had a lot of Americans, as you said, who came to Turkey. So that I had guessed that I toured Uh, in Istanbul and also in uh, different parts of uh, Turkey like in Cappadocia, in Antalya, in uh, Bodrum. And uh, I think uh, more Americans will be interested in Turkey because it seems that there are a lot of countries in Europe uh, which are uh, totally shut down or locked down. In that respect, uh, Turkey will be a target market for them. And also, Turkey is uh, always a surprise for Americans because I've been guiding Americans for the last 35 years and you know they mostly came to Turkey after their no places left in Europe. So, so they Turkey said, was the last resort? Exactly, they said there's this place called Turkey, let's go and try Turkey this time and as they came with very little uh, expectations they were always amazed with the beauty of this uh, country because Turkey is the crossroads of civilizations. This is the place where East meets uh, West and this is the city which has a history of 8,500 years and you know only Istanbul is the city in the world which was the capital city of three great empires starting with Roman Empire then Byzantine and finally Ottoman so there's no other city like this and it's the only city where the sea runs through the city it's not just a strait; it's uh, like a big sea because you can see cities which are by the river or by the ocean but uh, literally the sea runs through this uh, city separating it into two continents as Asia and uh, Europe so that's why this is the only city that is like located on two continents. I think that's, in that respect, we are very lucky and we will have a lot of guests from United States. And the other thing is, as I, I know this is radio,
0: but as I'm looking at you right now, I'm looking beyond you to see the Bosphorus, my eyes are always transfixed on the traffic in that water. It's always the big ships and the little ships and the little fishing
3: boats next to you know, huge tankers. Um, it, it never ceases to be active. Exactly. You're right, Peter. And uh, in the past, there were 65,000 ships crossing uh, Bosporus a year because this is the only way out from the Black Sea or only way... Uh, to the Black Sea and that's why the biggest wars of the world uh, were uh, fought for uh, the Bosphorus and for the other strait which we call uh, Dardanelles. Uh, so I can tell you that 3,240 years ago Trojan War was fought for this and poor Helen was just a uh, figure in that uh, war. The main reason was totally economic and also the. Worst- it always is yes yes it is and also during the First World War uh, you know the Lord of Admiralty of uh, Great Britain, uh, Winston Churchill, chose this as a new theatre uh, for the war and that's why the uh, ships wanted to cross Dardanelles. Fortunately, they uh, could not uh, do that. So, uh, in that respect, uh, Dardanelles and Bosphorus are very important straits. And nowadays, every year we've got like 40,000 ships crossing the uh, Bosphorus uh, to go to Black Sea, or to bring the oil or other commodities from the Black Sea to the warm uh, waters. Uh, that's why it's very important, and I think it will be always very important. And the other thing that most American travelers don't realize, and I try to, you know, every year for Christmas,
0: I try to give my friends, who I think are reasonably intelligent, their Christmas present. You know what it is? An atlas. Because they don't really realize what's out there. And when it comes
3: to Turkey, they have no clue all the countries that Turkey borders. Exactly. Can you name them? Well, uh, first of all, in the West, we've got Greece. Then we've got Bulgaria. Uh, To the north we've got uh, Russia, but we don't have uh, physical borders. It's just to the north of uh, Black Sea. Uh, But for the borders, we've got Georgia, we've got Azerbaijan, we've got Armenia, uh, we've got uh, Iran, uh, Iraq, Iraq and Syria. So we've got very interesting neighbors uh, surrounding Turkey. And not only do you have very
0: interesting neighbors, but if you go to those regions in Turkey that border on those countries, you have very interesting
3: and different cultures. That's right. Because uh, you know uh, those cultures uh, had impacts on each other. So if you go to uh, like uh, Georgian border, uh, the food changes. Then if you uh, go down to Syrian border, uh, many things including the food and the culture uh, change. So we've got those incredible kebabs. We have the baklavas. If you go to Gaziantep or Shanlurfa, you have uh, incredible kebabs also in uh, Antioch in uh, Adana, you can taste them. And you forgot one in Antioch or Antakya, canafe. Ah, kunefe is one of my uh, favorites. And uh, this is like shredded baklava with melted cheese. You know, it sounds weird to have uh, cheese in a dessert, but it adds a lot of... Taste to it, and it's really so delicious. And I agree with you that uh, it's a wonderful dessert. And I know there are people out there now selling frozen baklava. I mean, or frozen kanafe Don't buy it. You got to have it hot off the coal. That's right. Uh, that's the way uh, how they uh, do it in the marketplace of uh, Antakya, or with its ancient name Antioch, which was one of the most incredible cities of the uh, ancient times. You know, uh, Peter. There were only four cities which have been uh, illuminated during the nighttime with the torches. One was. Antioch, the other one was uh, Rome and there was Alexandria and also Ephesus and we're very lucky that two of them are in Turkey and it's also very interesting that in Antioch there is this unbelievable hotel when they were building the hotel underneath they have found incredible mosaics even they have found the biggest single mosaic of the world which is almost 10,000 square foot I was just there I met with the owner
0: it would it blew me away Imagine a hotel that was just built as a hotel, and the minute they started excavating, it was like, whoops, and then they realized what they had, and nine years later, they were finally able to finish the hotel on the condition that they built it
3: over the the discovery that they found. Exactly. They built it upside down so that uh, you can still see the mosaics underneath, and I was the very first uh, TV person uh, who made a show about the hotel, and then I also... I uh, did a live broadcast on my Instagram account, Emir Tonguc, and more than uh, two million people watched it in my IGTV, uh, because it's such a unique place. I have, a, I have something to reveal to you. That's how I discovered it. I
0: saw your thing. Really? Absolutely. And, and I said, when we go to do our one-hour special on Turkey, which is why I'm here for, for PBS, we have to go to Antakya. And everybody looked at me like, well, is it going to be safe? It's near the Syrian border. I said, we're going. And it was amazing. The museum itself was amazing, the museum hotel was amazing, and the kunafe was amazing.
3: (laughs) And uh, you know, in general, the food in uh, Antioch is wonderful. It is. And Antioch is also very important for Christianity because it was the city where the Christians have named themselves uh, the believers of Christ, which means Christians, for the first time in the whole history. Well, I snuck into that little bitty church in the hill. Yes, exactly. St. Peter's Peter's Church, and you know, it's in a cave uh, because, you know, all the Old churches of uh, St. Peter have been built on top of a a cave and this is one of the earliest examples and according to many sources, it's the first Church of Christianity. But you know uh, when you go to Tarsus which is very close to Antioch, uh, Tarsus is the birthplace for St. Paul and St. Paul was the person who made Christianity a religion and in that respect uh, you know he had uh, seven churches of Asia Minor. They're all located in Turkey because Turkey's old name is Asia Minor as it's an extension of Asia. Speaking with Safa the the premier guide
0: and guidebook author here in Turkey. You talked about this amazing amazing place that we that we discovered after you discovered it so that's another one you win called La Laoukea exactly unbelievable you know most american visitors who've ever come to turkey in the past many of them came on a cruise ship and they saw ephesus and that's on the on the other side it's on the western side and and i remember the first time i saw ephesus you climb up and you see all those old toilets lined up and it, it's just like wow you remember that i have to say ephesus has nothing on Laodikea.
3: Exactly. Well, uh, first of all, uh, most people don't know about Uh, Laodikea.
0: I pronounced it wrong, Laodikea. Exactly.
3: And uh, you know, it's very close to Pamukkale, which is one of the national wonders of the world. And it's in UNESCO uh, cultural heritage uh, list because we've got 19 places. Yes,
0: Those water terraces in uh, Pamukkale were amazing. But isn't it interesting that almost all the tourists who go there don't often get to see that church. Exactly. They just stay there and they leave. They think, oh, that's like an amusement park for them. If they go a little bit further away, not that far drive, they're going to get to that church. Exactly. And, and if they-, they go a little bit around the corner from Pamukkale, they're going to come across that theater, Right. that amazing theater yes. that is so well preserved where they still have performances today. Uh, and in fact, when we were there doing my show, a group of music students was rehearsing and really? we were able to shoot
3: it. It was just Fabulous. Uh, And the other name, the ancient name of Pamukkale is Hierapolis or the sacred city. And that's the city where uh, St. Philip was martyred, uh, which is an important site for Christianity as well. But as you say, most people unfortunately miss this incredible Laodicea. And uh, there... They had one of the uh, seven uh, churches of Asia Minor, yeah. and uh this one is in a perfect condition because it has been restored to its former glory. As you said, uh, by chance they have uh, found it because they are churches in, uh, you know, uh, Ephesus in Smyrna, which is today's Izmir. Uh, there was one in Pergamon. The other one is uh, Sardis, which is like only one and a half hours away from Izmir. But this was in uh, in a perfect condition. You can see the mosaics. Uh, you can see all the little details of a a church. That's why it's one of the unique places uh, for Christianity. And you know, one of the uh, seven churches of Asia Minor was in Philadelphia, which is in today's Turkey. That's why in the United States there is a place that is called Philadelphia coming from Turkey, like many other places like Troy also uh, comes from Turkey. Well, that brings up my next question. What happened to the horse? Well, actually, the horse was uh, just a myth, I guess, because, you know, uh, Homer tells us the story about this beautiful lady called Helen, who has been abducted and who has been brought to uh, Troy. That's why the war uh, started between the Greeks and the Anatolians, or the Trojans. And then he says that uh, the war lasted for uh, 10 years, but they could not come to an end. And in that respect, uh, the Greeks uh, played a trick, and they just left a horse in front of the uh, city walls and the Trojans very happy. Thought it very was a They thought it was a present. Exactly because they withdrew. They uh, went to uh, an island called Boljada, or with its ancient name Tenedos, and they waited there. So the Trojans drank all night long. Took the horse inside, but there were the hidden uh, Greek soldiers uh, inside the horse. That's why you Americans say the wearer of Greeks bearing uh, gifts. But the real uh, story tells us that, you know, uh, Poseidon was not just the uh, god of uh, oceans or the seas, but he was also the god of the earthquakes. So Poseidon shook the city walls, the mighty city walls of Troy, and they fell apart. That was the reason why the Greeks could conquer the city. So they wanted to show their gratitude to Poseidon uh, or Poseidon, and they just uh, erected this horse in front of Troy, that's why there is a Trojan horse. You can buy either of the stories, Peter, I don't mind. Which one do you buy? Well, I think the second one, but I love (laughs) the myths, I love the legends, I love the uh, way Homer uh, describes uh, it because Homer is considered as the first person who started the Western literature, and he comes from Turkey. And you know, uh, many of the stories that you know about the Greek mythology uh, took place in Turkey, but we Turks can't sell this. For instance... You can't even own it! (laughs) <laughs> exactly. We can't even own it. And for instance, Herodotus is the father of history and he's from Halicarnassus, which is uh, today's Bodrum, like the Saint-Tropez of Turkey. Then uh, from Amasia, from the uh, north of uh, Turkey, comes another important person who is Strabon. He's the father of uh, actually geography. And all those uh, famous uh, philosophers were uh, from Turkey, uh, like Diogenes was uh, one of them. Then uh, you can... Uh, see Herodotus who was uh, from Ephesus so we can see all this uh, famous name well there's one conclusion I have to draw from this they each had a very bad publicist
0: that's right they they couldn't get their name out there there was bad branding I I definitely agree with you (laughs) well let's turn things around and talk about where we are right now this incredible hotel the Sharon Palace one
3: of my favorite hotels by the way why well because this was uh, the uh, place where the Ottoman sultans lived so this is a real palace where all those celebrities uh, stayed. I guided more than 150 uh, celebrities from uh, different corners of the world, including United States, like Oprah Winfrey, Martha Stewart, Robert Redford, Kevin Spacey, Billy Crystal, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Penn Badgley, Michael Douglas, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Michael Kors, uh, Calvin Klein. Wait, wait, wait. you're not not name dropping, are you? No, 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 just uh, telling you uh, only a couple of them, not all (laughs) 150. And uh, Peter, actually some of them stayed in this hotel, even Oprah Winfrey. Was. And was Oprah a well-behaved guest? Uh, she was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, most of the time people ask me after all this uh, important names, who was the most impressive person for you? And I always say Oprah Winfrey, because you know, she was real, I mean, she is who she is that you see on the screen. Most of the time you see different personalities behind the uh, screen. Uh, and uh, you know, I have a- uh, Did she know anything about Turkey before she came? Well, actually, uh, she came to Turkey first in 1993. And uh, that was the reason why she took all the people working for her and their families on a cruise ship in, 2019, in 2009 after the credit crunch of 2008. So uh, she uh, toured them for two weeks and In Sriram Palace Kempinski, she gave a big speech to this 1,750 people that she was touring. And she said, I wanted to do this tour for two weeks. Because uh, when you start from Barcelona, normally it's one uh, week. But to come to Istanbul, you need two weeks. Because I wanted you to see this wonderful country, to see this wonderful city. That's why I made it two uh, weeks. And I wanted to share this beauty with you. And there you have it. Exactly. And also, you know, the last day before we finished... Finished the tour, we were going back to Barcelona. It was the 4th of July, and she made a speech. She said, most probably you wonder why I organized such a trip uh, it was called trip of a lifetime uh, for you uh, I'll tell you the reason uh, I come from a poor family and we didn't have enough uh, food when we were uh, kids and when I had my first chocolate it was a, a, at a late age and I loved the taste of chocolate but I told to myself if I have the chance to eat chocolate again I have to share it with my cousin because life is good when you share it so in that respect I want to share this experience with you. And if you loved it, don't send me letters because uh, I don't have time to uh, read 1,750 letters. But if you're happy, I want to see uh, it in your eyes. So if there's happiness in your eyes, that's the biggest thanks letter for me.
0: And then she gave each of them a Pontiac. Exactly. (laughs) In Istanbul, you've got the Asian side, the European side. Most people come to the European side not everybody gets over to the Asian side. You know, they don't go to the Katakoi market. They don't go or take the ferry from there over to Princess
3: Island, right? That's just for locals. But what a surprise Princess Island is. Exactly. And I really feel pity for the tourists who only come to the historic peninsula because they think that it's Istanbul. Actually, Istanbul is such a big city. Istanbul is uh, bigger than the population of uh, a lot of countries. Like 130 countries have smaller populations in the world than Istanbul. So I tell them, uh, please do the cheapest and shortest intercontinental trip of your life because to go to Asia uh, from the European side is only 10 minutes and it takes you uh, there uh, in 10 minutes and less than $1 and go and see Kadiköy Market which is a wonderful place and also Princess Islands are amazing because no traffic is allowed on the traffic No islands. cars. No cars. Uh, they so, used to have horses and yes. carriages
0: but there were some animal rights issues and they finally got smart and they're exactly. gone and now if you really
3: desperately need to get around there's some electric cars but most of the time you're walking. Yes, and uh, it's wonderful to walk around or to ride a bike. There are all those old Ottoman houses uh, yes. made out of wood. Wood. Yep. It's very stylish, so it's one of the best places. But most of the time, you know, the name sounds very romantic, Princess Islands, but it has got a sad story behind it. The reason is, you know, uh, during the Byzantine times, the uh, princes who were a threat to the emperors were blinded, and they were sent as. Uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, slaves through uh, those islands. That's why it's named Princess Islands.
0: And if you go to the, the biggest of the Princess Islands and you walk all the way to the top, which is quite a walk, yes you come up on this unbelievably old church. Greek orthodox church yes that's uh, which, and a
3: monastery yes uh actually that's saint george yeah. and uh saint george is a very important figure of christianity and no surprise he was also born in turkey and uh he was born in cappadocia and uh you know even they took uh across an icon of uh saint george from cappadocia they took it to a neighboring country and that's why it's called georgia Okay. And also, you know, uh, not just uh, St. George, but uh, Father Christmas, uh, St. Nicholas was born in Turkey, too, in uh, Mediterranean. coast
0: PR, too. Yes,
3: bad PR because oh the Scandinavians God. owned it. In the past Turkey was the ancient Greece and especially our western coast which was called Ionia that's why the Ionic columns uh, came from uh, Ionia and Ephesus was the capital city of Ionia but what happened was uh, around 500 uh, the Persians who came from uh, today's Iran they pushed the Greeks to the mainland Greece and that's why uh, Greece uh, became today's uh, Greece but uh, originally all the Greeks had their homeland in today's Turkey so in that respect Peter I'm not the one saying that but if you read Lonely Planet one of the best uh, guidebooks about uh, different countries and it's uh, written by foreigners not by Turks they say that if you want to see the Greek ruins go to Turkey there are more Greek ruins in turkey than greece and they say that if you are interested in roman history it's not italy that you should go go to turkey because turkey has more to offer to you regarding the roman uh, ruins Uh, and the uh, reason is so simple because turkey is like a crossroad of civilizations why because if you want to go to east or west you have to cross from turkey otherwise you have to go over russia which is longer and colder or you have to go all from uh, the north africa all the way to morocco to go to uh, gibraltar and that would be very hot and again very long. So Turkey was the uh, crossroads of all civilizations and we've got more than 30 different civilizations in this amazing country.
0: So what I've just concluded from that, first of all, number one, Turkey's got bad PR.
3: Yes, very bad PR. And number two, I just met Turkey's PR guy, you. you. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I love this country, Peter. I love this city. And I feel like an ambassador for this country and for Istanbul uh, because I spent my childhood in one of the most beautiful places in uh, Bosphorus uh, that is called Kandilli. It's the smallest town in uh, Istanbul. You know, in this city, there are more than 16 million people. But in Kandilli, only 2,000 privileged people live. And I was one of them. And you you know, I was doing an intercontinental trip every day because my school was next to Chiron Palace Kempinski, and uh, I was coming from Asia, so I was an Asian boy, and then I was becoming European for the daytime, and then I was going back to Asia. This was such an incredible uh, thing for me. So you as weren't a child. conflicted or anything. Right.
0: <laughs> when people first come to Istanbul, very first time. What's, you know, obviously they're going to be blown away by San Sophia and Topkapi, uh, Blue Mosque, etc.
3: But what's the one thing that surprises them more than anything else? Uh, Other than those things? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, don't limit me uh, to one place, uh, Peter, because this city has so many things to offer. I've written uh, 12 books about Istanbul, and one of them is the most concise book, uh, which is called Istanbul, the Ultimate Guide. If you walk around with this guide, you need 100 days to discover this city, which means literally more than uh, three months. But uh, there are a lot of hidden gems, like Fener and Balat are wonderful districts of Istanbul. And, you know, it's like Florence, uh, but in Florence you just see the Catholic churches. But in Fener and Balat, you see the center for the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, the Patriarch's uh, Church. And then you see uh, the uh, Armenian churches, Uh, you see the uh, beautiful synagogues, because Balat used to be the Former Jewish uh, neighborhood of Istanbul, there is this amazing uh, Greek uh, high school which is uh, located on top of a hill overlooking the whole uh, city and also the Golden Horn. And if you uh, go to Korah Church, which is another gem, hidden gem, and uh, you know, uh, it was one of the most beautiful Byzantine churches with unbelievable Byzantine mosaics and frescoes. If you walk only like five minutes uh, down the road, you see the only wooden uh, synagogue of Istanbul. Then you just go another five minutes and you see this incredible ch- uh, mosque of Sinan, who he built uh, for the daughter of Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent. So only in a very small district. You see uh, it all. Yes, you see the church, the synagogue, the mo- uh, and uh, mosque. All the best examples. And does everybody get along? Yes, definitely. I love it. Yes. Uh, very ecumenical. I love it. Yes, and uh, I think that's the surprising thing about Istanbul. Istanbul is very uh, welcoming, especially uh, the Turkish hospitality is so important, but unfortunately there are a lot of ignorant people who have just the prejudices and who don't know how beautiful the city is. Well, you do. Uh, exactly, and I'm ready to show them this beautiful city. <laughs> Safa always a
0: pleasure. And let me tell you what's coming up, because we're going to run out of time for this hour. But when we come back, and you're going to laugh when I tell you this. Do you know what I did last week? What? I went fishing on the Galata Bridge. Wow. With all the local guys. Right? I had my pail, my bucket, my bait, my rod, my reel, my hook. And I caught something. Okay. I did. It wasn't a big fish. It was a little blue fish. And then what did I do? I got a little grill out with some charcoal.
3: I cooked it right there. That was a great experience. I got it right there. And a little simit, I'm in. When you're in, uh, in Istanbul, do what the locals do.
0: I was staying at the Sharon Palace. Not only a hotel, but an authentic Ottoman palace dating back to the 17th century. The Sultans lived here, they partied here, wars were declared here, peace treaties signed. Palace was later burned to the ground and then rebuilt from the ashes. And yes, it's also a hotel. My conversation with art historian and design expert, Sirdar Guigan on the legacy the Sultans left us. As I've said earlier, you can't discuss this hotel without discussing not just the history of the hotel, but the history of a culture, of a people, of a country. And joining me now, who knows all about that, historian Sirdar Gulgun. How are you,
5: sir? Thank you very much. How are you?
0: I'm good. You know, In in talking with you leading up to our talk today, I'm learning so much about the the evolution of terminology, the evolution of names, uh, and this all comes from the lifestyle of the Ottomans.
5: Yes, because well, it uh, the, the lifestyle reflected a, a very big world empire, which was extremely important at the time. It was quite dominant, so it was it was the uh, source or inspiration for many things, including the name of this hotel. Exactly. So what uh, Ch- does Shiran mean? Shiran means. Um, candlelight or light but more than that in this in this context it means you know well. we have a period in our history which was called tulip era like the flower like the flower itself and the birthplace of the tulip was turkey it not was, the netherlands not the netherlands i'm afraid so uh, in the 16th century the austrian ambassador gislam busbek came to istanbul and brought the first Uh, tulip bulbs to low countries to Holland and in his letters he he wrote a very important uh, book called Turkish letters and in Turkish letters he used to describe this flower which was found in Turkey like uh, a kind of a flower which looks like a turban and for turban he used to write tulpan and the word tulip comes from that and then tulip era in the uh, early 18th century, for almost 20 years, was a period of quite wealthy for the Ottoman Empire, which was, you know, the sultans, instead of becoming uh, the warriors, they became like Renaissance men, writing, reading. It was all about the lifestyle. Lifestyle, and Chiran's palaces, gardens, which means Chiran gardens, which means the light and candle gardens, was the scene during the Tulip Era of this kind of gatherings and parties? So let
0: me ask you a question: The more tulips you had, the wealthier you were.
5: Of course, because you know well, uh, tulip at some point became like a commodity. As you know, it has been you know like like gold or coins. It has been always tulip bulbs auctioned, sold. So uh, and it was a very big prestige to have tulip gardens. And if you wanted more prestige, you needed turtles in this. Tulip Gardens Turtles? Yes, of course, turtles, because the sultan himself, he used to have in the palace, turtle trainers. It was a special title. (laughs) You had turtle trainers, and as you know, it's not easy to train a turtle. You have to be very patient, very sophisticated, and very rich to train a turtle. So, if you can train your turtle... By the way,
0: this is the first time I've ever heard of a turtle trainer. I just want to go on record. Go ahead.
5: (laughs) So, the turtle trainer trained the turtles to walk properly, and in these tulip gardens at the tulip era they used to at night put candles on the shells of the turtles and let turtles walk freely in the darkness of the night within within the tulips so if they walked properly of course this created if you can imagine an incredible light show at the night so uh, and turan's gardens were the scene of this kind of very sophisticated elaborate festivities so then, later on, it was also the house before the actual palace itself. In the 18th century, there was another palace in where we are right pla- now yeah. in its place, and it was it, it was the the palace of the vizier, which is like a prime minister of the time, who was married to the daughters of the sultan himself. So he was a very important. So he pal- was wired in. He was wired. in. He was extremely well connected. So it was a, a symbolic building for the tulip era. And still in our language, in the contemporary Turkish language, if I sell, tell you, uh, Peter, you've, you, uh, you, you look as if you live in a tulip era, means that you're, we You're use, giving me a compliment. It's a compliment. And also I, it means that you spend too much, you have too much fun, and you are too <laughs> extravagant. Uh, maybe it's not a compliment. Uh, well, it could be. If you have the uh, means to support it.
0: Okay, so now let me ask you one other thing that is not about tulips or maybe even not about this hotel and that's the evolution of the croissant. Uh,
5: Yes, yes. Because, you know, when the Turks went to the... Because the Ottomans went to the doors of Vienna for the conquest of Vienna and they were... Because already Budapest and Budapest was not... Budapest at the time, because Pest didn't exist, it was only Buddha at the time. Turks went to the doors of Vienna, and when they were there first, um, and it was a defeat, so they had to come back. And at that defeat, they went with a huge sacks of coffee beans. So they left coffee beans there, first in Vienna the first coffees started like that. Then afterwards they say that when the Turkish troops left the doors of Vienna with a defeat, uh, the bakers to celebrate this event made this kind of a uh, croissant, which means crescent in French, a kind of a pastry, a Danish pastry kind of a thing uh, in the shape of a crescent of a moon, which is the flag of the Ottomans, to celebrate the departure of the Ottomans. Hence, the croissant. And the croissant, the crescent. Amazing. Yes.
0: But let's go back to uh, the train turtles, which are still fascinating. Yes. Uh, You had this extravagant lifestyle. Yes. You had great parties. You had great literature.
5: Music, literature. Yes, exactly. And then something happened. Well, uh, something happened, yes, exactly. Because, you know, well, uh, it, it, it is a very, very, well, it has been an empire for many centuries, the Ottomans. So you can't keep it alive for so many centuries. So at some point, it had to collapse. Which brings me up to my next item up for bids here on The Prices, right? The concept of the word Young Turks. Yes, Young Turks is a kind of a group of, political men in the 19th century late 19th century when a group of when it was still ottoman empire before the republic they had they 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 need they said that the ottoman empire needed reforms
0: because they knew it was going to collapse
5: yes because it was not going very well so they created a kind of a movement and their movement well somehow was not very welcomed by the sultan so they needed to leave the country and most of them took a refuge in Paris and they were called their jeunes Turks, young Turks. Even in Turkish we would use the French term and somehow in a way they created the basis of the movement for the Republic also which came in 1923. It was an emancipation. And of course everywhere you go it's inescapable.
0: There is either a picture, a photograph, an artist drawing or a statue of
5: Ataturk. Yes, exactly. He was our hero because somehow, uh, because if Ataturk probably wouldn't appear, probably we would have been colonized at some point. Without the young Turks. Without the young Turks, exactly. Without uh, Ataturk. So uh, it was, well, all the empires were collapsing on the other hand at the time. The Austrian empire was collapsing. Prussian, well, the world was collapsing. Yeah. The world was getting redefined and of course, Ottomans took their, their share. And also
0: at the same time, this palace was more or less collapsing, right? It got burned.
5: Yes, exactly. Because, you know, well, it was, it was first of all the, the palace of in the 18th century where all these, the Chiran activities, the Chiran part, parties happened in the garden. Later on, they demolished it to make a new palace by Abdulaziz. And Abdulaziz made this palace. And this palace for a while uh, became something like a parliament for a very short time. Then later on, if I'm not wrong, around 1910, it was burnt. And then after that, if I remember my artist depictions and drawings, wasn't it also a soccer field? Exactly. Even, you know, well, it will tell about my age probably, but, but when I was a little boy, I remember that people used to play Uh, soccer, football, Football. on the grounds of here that I remember very vividly. It was something like a ruin, remains of the walls of the palace, and it was sort of, I I vividly remember that people playing football on the grounds of Chiram Palace. Did you win your games? No, I was, (laughs) probably I was too young to play at the time, probably more serious ones were playing at the time, but I remember vividly.
0: I mean, to give ourselves a sense of place and for my audience, we're sitting here in the old wing of the rebuilt palace, exactly. with all the architecture still preserved and the construction still preserved, looking out over one of the most uh, majestic, amazing waterways in the world, the Bosphorus, yes. connecting Europe to Asia. When we last left off, the palace was burned; it was abandoned. <laughs> yes, um, there was a soccer field here. Um, I exactly. mean, the structure of the building remained, but it was just hollow. It was gone.
5: Yes, it was gone, and, I remember. And then what happened? Then it has been restored into its glory, then became this sort of the first palace hotel of Istanbul. That I remember that also very well. I was quite at, of a certain age at that time. I
0: mean, it still retains its physical sense of a palace because it's
5: a palace how high are the ceilings right now well i would say seven or eight in the room in which we are it's a it's a it's a real palatial room because you know these rooms these palace rooms in the ottoman world in a classical classical ottoman palace or in a mansion you didn't have corridors like you have in the western houses you have rooms like the one in which we're sitting, which open to a central hall that we call a sofa room. A sofa room? A sofa room. Because I'm so, I think I'm going to start hearing the derivation of a couch. Yes, you are completely right, because the first travelers in the 18th century, or maybe earlier, when they started to come to Istanbul, they were... If they were lucky, they were entertained, if they were important ambassadors and etc. in this kind of palaces like Turan. And when they came into these rooms, opening to these central halls that we Turks, still we call it a sofa room. For us, sofa is the name of the central hall, the room itself. But since the sofa rooms are full of low settees that we would call Turks divans, The first travelers, they took the name of this furniture after the name of the room itself. And for the divan, they put the name sofa. Now we know. Yes.
0: And if you look around this hotel, especially in the old wing here, it's not just central rooms and little rooms. It's chandelier
5: after chandelier after chandelier. Every wall is, is is a piece of art. Exactly. Because, you know, in a classical Ottoman interior compared, of course, this one is a 19th century palace. In the 19th century palace, Uh, gradually European influences started to come in but still you have the basic Ottoman ideas which made this palace. For example, you see that all our walls and all our ceilings in this palace are completely decorated. Uh, so the reason for that first we didn't have the tradition of hanging paintings on the walls like in the west so for not to keep our walls empty we had this sort of stenciled or fresco paintings on the walls and ceilings and another element we didn't have the big tradition of uh, furnitures like in the west in a classical ottoman house a room was made more with divans and ottomans ah, a- another word another one I have a few of those, thank you. Yes, so that's why since the furniture was quite simple, the richness of the interior had to come from the walls and from the ceiling itself. The rest was quite uh, subdued and plain, but again decorated with oriental carpets and oriental embroideries as cushions. For example, an Ottoman sultan perhaps didn't have a four-poster bed like in the West like a westerner king but instead of perhaps he had such a quilt facing which embroidered with pearls and corals that would that would worth 10 four poster bed. so this is completely another way of looking to an interior which is made with layers and layers it's a very very layered interior perception that you use see plenty of patterns and colors blend in together to give this magnificence and the good thing about this, usually, when you have too many layers and too many colors, somehow it tends to become, how can I put it, too much. A conspicuous display of wealth. But here, somehow, it, it doesn't feel like this. This was the big strength of the Ottoman design. With many layers, more becomes less until you start peeling them back. (laughs) Yes, but somehow they blend into a great harmony because it's a know-how of centuries which has been refined and refined and refined because the idea of an Ottoman artist, uh, completely opposite to the Western artist, an idea of a Western artist is to create something new. That's why period after period comes. Baroque, rococo, Art Nouveau, Art Deco, etc. But in the Ottoman world, the idea of an artist is not to create a new fashion, but to perfection what they have in in their hand. So, which creates refinement of a one style over centuries, which becomes quite sophisticated at the end.
0: So what you're trying to tell me is the Ottoman philosophy was if it's not broken, don't fix it.
5: Exactly, exactly. Because as they say, you can buy anything but patina. <laughs> patina of an interior, patina on a person is the most precious thing because you can buy something new just with a click nowadays. But patina and the heritage uh, and the culture, you, this is something that you have to have
3: and, this and is cannot
5: replace. And this is something that you'll see in every inch of this hotel of course. because they preserved it. Exactly, the the patina of the hotel, and it's becoming more and more uh, uh, patina. uh, how can I say, aging gracefully, because aging gracefully is very important. It it makes it iconic. It does indeed, and I thank you for sharing those stories with me.
0: Now I know the derivation of croissant and sofa and ottoman and a few other things. My thanks to Serdar. I'm a strong believer in local knowledge coupled with a deep immersion into the culture. So I caught up with Mehmet Yarangumelioglu. He was born in Istanbul, then moved to Miami for about 10 years. And when he got that out of his system, he came home. He runs a small bar in Speakeasy in Bebek, a trendy Istanbul neighborhood, but he hasn't lost his values. No, we didn't do the club scene in Istanbul. He took me somewhere completely different. Throughout the show, I've been talking about my experiences in Turkey with some of our guests, where we've gone, what we've done, what we've discovered, what surprised us. Uh, My next guest took me on a little journey as well. We didn't go very far in Istanbul, but we really made some progress. We actually went fishing on the Galata Bridge. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know, there are a lot of bridges in Istanbul, but this is a bridge that local fishermen, and I'm not talking like a couple of guys with a rod and a reel, I'm talking about three to 400 guys at a, at a given time, go out there with their buckets of bait and their pails and their fish and their, and their rods, and, and they actually go catch fish. Now, in America, maybe we do it as a hobby. Here, they do it for a living. They eat the fish they catch. And uh, my friend, memo, here it comes, Yaron Gamaliolo.
4: Perfect. Did I get it? <laughs> yep, you got it.
0: He's... Born and raised in Turkey, uh, lived in the States for 10 years, came back, and now runs a, a cool little speakeasy called Kaya in the Bebek District, which we can talk about. But it was your idea when I said, show me something that's not in the tourist books, show me something that's not in the, in the in the brochures. You said, let's go fishing on the,
4: on the, on the Galata Bridge, and we did. Um, as you say, it's not only about business to these people. It's a part of living. So you could be a security guy during the day, and you could just finish your work and come to Galata Bridge and catch your fish and take it to your family to eat that day. But people do this every single day, rain or shine. Exactly. And it's it's been present since, since the start of civilizations in Istanbul. And by the way, this wasn't like the only time there's been a bridge in Galata. No, it's actually the fifth bridge in Galata. The first bridge uh, was built in the Golden Horn, not in the same place as the Galata Bridge today, but it was up north by the river. It was built in the sixth century by the Romans. It was the first bridge in that Golden Horn. And then after that, I think it was 1453 when Ottomans were taking over, they called it the second bridge where uh, Mehmet the Conqueror II, he put ships next to each other so that the troops could It was, could a, floating cross. It was floating a floating bridge. It was a floating bridge, but it was just ships. Just tied to each other. And then after Mehmet, I think it was 30 years later, uh, Bayezid II said, Why don't we build a bridge here, actual bridge, so that we can actually um, connect two parts of uh, the, let's say, when Ottomans took over, it became the Topkapa Palace, or the historic peninsula, we call it, became more of the um, traditional and uh, conservative part of Istanbul. But there was a lot of other religions and other cultures living in Istanbul at the time. And they were located in Taksim area, Harbi area. So that bridge, the idea was to connect both sides of Istanbul to this day, that I tell you, that's where East meets West for the city. And they were trying to connect the East, the West and the cultures and the... But then even Leonardo da Vinci gets involved? Yeah, I think uh, the first design was built by Leonardo da Vinci. And they didn't... It's, it's let's call it a speculation, it's not decided yet, but either the Sultan didn't like it, or Italy didn't allow for Leonardo to come to Turkey and build a bridge. So that never happened. But there was a design for it, actual design, which was built uh, in Norway in 2001, I think. They built the same exact design. That Leonardo da Di Vinci did. That Leonardo Di-
0: the most amazing thing about Leonardo da Vinci, every time they do an exhibit of his, of his engineering drawings, you realize this guy probably was the most brilliant guy who ever lived, because he developed a helicopter, he just didn't know it. He developed
4: architectural things that are still being used today, but didn't know it, right? It was supposed to be the longest bridge at its time, if it was to be built. And then after that, when Leonardo didn't happen, Sultan went to Michelangelo and said, why don't we build it? And Michelangelo did some designs on it too. So they were after the, uh, I guess, the celebrity of the time for architecture. And they went after them because the salt is always like the luxury, the best of everything. So they went for them, but it didn't end up happening until 1800s, 1800, 1842, I think was the first bridge that was built in that spot that we were fishing at. And they built that bridge, obviously for us. Uh, to fish at, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that day we went fishing, we had all our gear. We caught a little fish. Was that a little blue fish? Yeah, no. Um, it was called horse mackerel. We call it horse mackerel. Okay. It, and we were very lucky. Very lucky. But it was not a big fish.
4: But not small either for that bridge. Okay. It's, you're not supposed to catch big tunas there. That's not the idea. No. Because the sea provides. Sea has been providing in the city for more than 2,000 years as the cats. As sea provides, the cats got food too. So all this culture in Turkey uh, in Istanbul has been growing through the sea. Um, I don't know if I told you before, but we have a saying in Turkish that um, we even we would even eat our father if it came out of the sea. <laughs> That's the Istanbul culture for you. So whatever comes out of the sea is edible and consumable and would help you uh, to prolong your life in a way. And you're in. And you're in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then you and I went and got a small little grill, threw some charcoal on there, and we cooked it. Um, most commonly, a lot of uh, part of the culture, too, there was restaurants. There weren't a lot of um, official places. People would just sit by the bus first, drink their beers, have their wine, drink their rakı, and, and cook their fish. their fish. Exactly. Before they got home to their wives. <laughs> well, wait a second. You mentioned the dangerous word there, rakı. Rakı, yeah. Explain. Um, rakı, we call it our national drink. It's made with, uh, it's, uh, um, the core is aniseed. It's made with aniseed, so very similar to Arak in Arabic right. culture or Uzo in Greek culture. Very licorice Very licorice but Uzo is like 35%, which is 70 proof for the U.S. listeners. Uh, they call it proof, right? So, uh, but rakı is like 45%, which is 90 proof. Oop. So Uzo, yeah, you get a little drunk, but rakı, no, like, it gets you going.
0: It's, so how do you say in Turkish, designated driver? <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, taxi. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we call it taxi. (laughs) So you were back in Florida for 10 years, then you came back home.
0: What brought you back home?
4: Um, To be honest, uh, Florida was great time uh, as a foreign, not as a foreigner, but as someone who's not necessarily in the American culture too. Uh, you get to portray yourself and people like to listen to you and get interested in you. So there's a lot of stories there. But um, as the as a mortgage crisis happened in 2008 and people started getting kicked out of their businesses and stuff like that. So um, I didn't really like the way it was going. I didn't want to pursue a career there. And as, as I said to you before, I saw that I was going to be a little fish in a big market. But coming my background, having my Istanbul background, I thought that I was gonna be a semi-middle fish in the sea. And now you've got a bar. Yeah, uh, we got a speakeasy bar called Kaya. In, be- in Bebek. In Bebek, yeah. The idea was to have this um, East Village Attitude bar for New Yorkers there. <laughs> East <laughs> Village laid back like a dye bar slash Izakaya, all those Sam Marks, Yakitori places. Have that mixed, but the area is West Village. My thanks to Mehmet, to
0: Sirdar Gwigan, and to Safat Tongich. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and as you may have
1: noticed, there's a lot of it every single day, just log on to PeterGreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion
0: Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
2: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: The Hargan women seemed to have it all.
2: We were blessed. My mom was amazing.
1: But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.
3: I am just praying to God, this is a sick...
1: From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.